Um, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at this passage and exploring sacrificial love. Um, what does it look like when Jesus uh, loves someone and it costs him a great deal? Um, what we're not going to be doing is like me explaining it and then giving you like three precepts to practice for sacrificial love. Um, we're not going to do that, but we are just going to explore this story of Jesus uh, and this dear woman in John chapter 4. Um, when you think about sacrificial love and you think about someone who has loved you and it costs them a lot, I'm sure that we can all think of people um, and the ways that we've been shaped by other people's sacrificial love. Um, I feel it uh, deep in, in my body um, that I have been loved sacrificially um, because of my mother. Uh, so um, some of you guys know my more of my story. I'm not going to share all of it um, because I respect you too much to share all of my story with you today. Um, but uh, my parents uh, met and had like a sort of a workplace romance when they were both uh, very young adults. And uh, there were long-term downstream consequences for their workplace romance, um, which is me. And um, they didn't stay together very long after I was born. Uh, before I was one, they had uh, split. And my dad uh, remarried and has another family, and that be- became the trajectory of his life was this other family. But my mom, uh, who was, again, she was young. She had her whole life ahead of her. Um, she had dreams, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, an idea of where she was going in life, what she was hoping. Um, and then I came along. and. Then her dreams and her hopes for her life became me. Um, And she worked hard. She gave so much uh, every day. Just the fact of her existence day by day was an act of sacrificial love um, toward me. And sometimes loving someone means paying the price of your dreams for the future Um, and to give life. And in this passage this morning, it's not just that we see Jesus um, loving someone sacrificially. I think we already equate Jesus with sacrificial love. Um, also, the other person in this story also loves deeply sacrificially, and I want to explore that together. So uh, we're in John 4. You can just listen. It's a sort of long story, so don't worry about catching every word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, um, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So the religious leaders are getting all nervous about him, so he leaves and goes out to the country, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it was about about noon o'clock. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. So she's coming at noon, the hottest time of the day. And she's coming alone. All the other women that would come to get water for their day, they would get it early in the morning when it was nice and cool. So they would have water for the day. They would do it together. It was a way to catch up and be with others. This woman is alone. 
and already uh, suffering the heat of day, and we'll see why. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's just Jesus and this woman by this well. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans are related, but have bad blood. Uh, Jews would have seen Samaritans as compromising, as not really serious about God, um, and, but generally have avoided them completely, not talked to them at all, called them dogs. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is where any of us would say, this has really been nice talking to you. I'm going to walk away now because you're weird and crazy. But this woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. I kind of think she's like, yeah, show me that. Um, put him on the spot. But Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's a very, very awkward thing to say to somebody when you just first meet them. And so the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know all about my business, and you're not supposed to. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's kind of amazing that he told her that because generally he would dodge the question if someone asked him, but he tells her directly. He's the one that she's been waiting for. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and we're coming to him. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, let's take a moment to ask God to be present with us in his word. Father, you are seeking 
people to worship you in spirit and truth. You are seeking people that will come to you with our souls open to you and stand before you in your glory and in your love. And Lord, I thank you for these sisters and brothers gathered. Lord, each of us wants to do that. But there are so many things standing in the way, it feels like. Our own unbelief, our distractions, our fears. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit. Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers and for myself that you would open us up to you and to this word that has been read, this word that is life, even though we don't know how it's life. Um, Speak to us, meet with us now, Lord Jesus, just as you met with this woman. Um, Lord, we, we believe that you can do that. Help our unbelief and be with us now that we would worship you in spirit and truth as we consider this story. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So I, I was at RUF training um, a week ago, and uh, with RUF campus ministers and staff from all over the world, and one of my friends who does RUF in Tokyo, I was talking to him. Now, what's cool about his campus ministry is that there's like 150 students involved in RUF there in Tokyo at this university, but only three of them are Christians, okay? So the vast majority of people that go to a Christian ministry are not Christians, which I still don't understand how that works, but I find it fascinating and liberating. And so when they do Bible studies, which is a very Christian thing that we do as we get together and talk about the Bible, um, nobody that's at the Bible study is usually a Christian, which sounds to me like the best Bible study. Um, Because when Christians have Bible study, then we think there's things that we're supposed to say, and there's ways that we're supposed to answer, and we're really supposed to just tell each other that we already know all the answers. And so usually when I'm in a Bible study, I'm like, why are we here? Um, But being with, you know, people that aren't Christians that are taking it seriously is fascinating. And so anyway, he was telling me that, um, no shade on your small group. Um, I hope that's not been your experience of small groups. Um, But he said they they read this story together, and then he said, "What, what did you guys think about that? And that the big takeaway of the group was, Jesus is bad at having conversations with people. Um, he is way too awkward to be talking, to be allowed to talk to people. Um, and because he is so often, like, really gentle with people that he, he seems like he should be firm with, and, like, really intense with people that it seems like he should be gentle with, and he is talking about this lady's private business and saying the wrong thing at all times. At least that's what it seems like. And so why is Jesus so awkward um, when he's in conversations with people? And part of the reason, I think, that he seems so awkward is because he is always looking to give in a conversation instead of to to take something. When Jesus is in a conversation, if you read any conversation he has with people in the Gospels, He's always doing, trying to do two things, trying to make God look really good. Like, how can I say things that make God look awesome? And trying to do good to the person that he's talking to, to give them an invitation, to offer them something. He's always giving and never needing something back in conversation. And usually we're, we avoid awkwardness by giving and taking, by saying, how do I give you just enough so that you like me so that we can continue to have a conversation later? 
There's an episode of Band of Brothers, which is a show about World War II, and in which a officer is caught gambling with the soldiers, so the people that under his authority. And he gets in big trouble, and his commanding officer is berating him, and he responds, I just wanted them to know that I'm just one of the men. I'm just one of the guys. And his commanding officer says, never put yourself in a position to take something from them. Never put yourself in a position to take something from them. Jesus seems so awkward because he is always offering something and never needing something back. He's always giving sacrificially without needing back. So what, what I want to look at with that in mind is that Jesus is offering something here. Is that actually both of these two were risking a lot in this conversation. And really just what were they risking? What were they sacrificing for love? And then just to ask, was it worth it for them? Okay. Um, what were they risking? Uh, firstly, what they were risking by having this conversation at all was they were risking being misunderstood. This is a woman by herself at a well and a man by himself at a well. People that generally would never have talked to each other. This is a very hierarchical society along um, the lines of men and women, which I don't know if that sounds familiar. Um, but if it doesn't, go see the Barbie movie, and it will help you figure that out. Um, this is, that was my plug for the great movie. We're going to move on from Barbie. Um, what Jesus is risking is that she will misunderstand his intention. That by speaking to her, that she will think that he has motives other than he actually has. He's actually risking that for her. But more so, he's risking his reputation to her, but, but to his disciples. What Jesus' job is in this moment is that he is a traveling rabbi. You are not a rabbi if you don't have a following of people. Um, if he is seen and observed speaking to this woman, it is very likely that his students will no longer respect him or take him seriously as a teacher of God and a teacher of Torah. That he will, be, he, uh, he will lose respect because what his disciples are going to think automatically and this maybe will resonate with some of us, is, is Jesus compromising on truth? Like, we know what's true, and Jesus seems to be treating this person in a way that would make me think that he's soft on the truth. Can we really actually follow him? What would people think if they saw him? The interesting thing is that it worked. <laughs> when his disciples come back, this is exactly what they think. And over time, what everyone ends up thinking about Jesus is that he's soft, that he's not someone you can respect when it comes to God. The irony being that he is God. That's what the, the British invented irony, and that's what it means. Okay. What's this woman sacrificing? What's she risking? Um, if you really sit and think about this passage, it really is astounding. Um, she is risking her own safety to talk with Jesus and to carry on this conversation with him. Because she does at times challenge him and push back on him. This is a woman who has been married five times and is with a man that she's not married to. It's not because she was just so difficult to get, to get along with that she kept leaving her husbands. It didn't work like that. She has been abandoned and likely abused many, many times. And she knows exactly what men are like. And yet she enters a conversation with Jesus when she could have simply walked or ran away. 
she risks her own safety to be in this conversation with Jesus. There is something about him that she feels that it is worth that risk. But maybe the most amazing thing to me about what she does is she risks her own dignity. Um, because she has this conversation with Jesus, she really processes some stuff and goes back and forth with him and receives this offer. And what she does is when he says that he's the Messiah, she leaves her water jug and she runs back into town. Okay, She's at this well in the middle of the day to avoid being with other women. Um, she is someone that has pro- probably been um, ostracized and talked about and gossiped to death. She runs back into her village, and what does she say? I met a man. Come see this man I met. And no doubt, the people in her village are like, oh, you met a man. That's so nice. You have a way of doing that, of meeting men. And then she says, not just come see this man, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Like, oh, honey, I, didn't, I don't need to be a prophet to tell you everything that you did. She enters into the scorn and disdain. She puts her dignity on the line to go to people who have rejected her and cast her out that she has had to hide from in her shame. And she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. That is extremely risky. But also what she had to offer is that she had an idea of who God was and what he was going to do. And she had to give that up. Like she talks to Jesus, she says, look, I know that on this mountain, you say we're supposed to be in Jerusalem, but I think we're supposed to worship out here. And then she says, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And Jesus basically says, if you want to know God, you're going to have to lay aside everything about what you think about God and how he's going to work and what's going to be like. And you have to come and see me. Like, think, think about it if you were this woman. And some, some of you, this isn't hard to imagine because you've, you've been in this place. How many times has she entered a relationship and asked in the quietness of her heart, please let it be different this time? I, I don't want to be in the same situation I was in before. Please let it be different this time. And how many times has she had risked that prayer to God? And now she is before Jesus, and she has to do it again, to enter into this conversation with him, to enter into this life with him. Um, and it, this, I think this offers a question for us, which is, can we know God, truly know God, if we're not willing to admit that we're wrong about God a lot of the time? Like, what if we sat down with God and he was like, I love you so much, I'm seeking you out. The things that you thought about who I am and how I work and what I'm going to do are wrong. Do you still want me? That's what he's offering to her. I I said this in the first service, um, and then I was like, I shouldn't have said that, and here we're going to do it again. Um, 
I am have not as old as many of you guys in the room, nor have I been a follower of Jesus for nearly as long as many of you have. But I've been for a little while, and I've been a minister for some of that time too. When I went to seminary and I got out and I went out into the world to bless everyone with my ministry, um, I knew so much more then than I do now um, about how God works, about what God is really like. I think you could truly say that I believed more then than I do now. But because Jesus has met me, despite all my foolishness and silliness and everything I thought that I knew, I can also say that I love Jesus now way more than I did when I knew everything about God. And that's what Jesus is inviting her into, that he can honor the prayer, please make it different this time, that he can actually make good on that. Because Jesus actually asked the same thing of God. Like, Jesus always served and was obedient to God and did everything in love, and yet what he knew about God, he found out to be wrong when he went to the cross. And he felt the abandonment of God. Nothing could have felt more wrong to him. On the night before he went to the cross, Jesus said, Lord, please make it different this time. Like, I know the way that we have to go, and I know our plan to save our people, and I have to die, but please make it different. And God said no. Love can cost a lot. I went to visit my friend this past weekend, and a couple of days before I got there, I found out that it was his wife's birthday that weekend, which I was thrilled, because I'm like, man, I'm really excited to celebrate my friend's birthday. I can't imagine being thrilled if you were her. It's like, it's my birthday weekend, and my husband's weird friend from North Carolina is coming to town, and I just want to go to this Luke Bryan concert and go to dinner with my family, and when I get home to the Luke Bryan concert, there is my husband's weird friend. And when I wake up on the morning of my birthday, there's my husband's weird friend asking me questions about life in New Mexico. And when we go out to dinner as a family, there's my husband's weird friend um, making sure that we order birthday flan. And I don't even like flan. Um, and so I kept saying to her the whole weekend, I'm really sorry I'm here. I love being here, but I'm sorry I'm here on your birthday. And she said to me enough times that I actually believed her, I'm really happy that you're here. It's a gift that you're here. Um, she didn't get the birthday weekend that she, that she wanted. She had to give that up uh, in order to love. Love can cost a lot. Love costs these two a lot. And the question for us, and this, this is where I want to ponder with you, if you'll ponder with me, is what did they get in return for their sacrifice? They gave all this up. What did they get back? For the woman whose name is not listed here, she got the freedom of having her own well of water, meaning she could go back into her village where everyone scorned her and hated her and gossiped about her, and this well of water welled up inside of her so that she could offer a drink to everyone and need nothing back from them. She was in a position to give and not be in a position to take anything from them. It didn't matter anymore. What they said about her, what they thought about her, what they assumed about her, what they would say about her after, it didn't even matter how they responded to her. 
because she had this fresh well inside of her that could always quench her thirst, that could always cleanse her from within, and so it freed her to go and to give. And the craziest thing about this passage is that it worked. Other people come with her to come and meet Jesus. What she got from Jesus, the thing that she got for her sacrifice was she got freedom. Freedom from what other people thought about her and freedom to love and to pursue others. And what did Jesus give? Jesus got her. He got this woman as his beloved. He brought her from death to life. Like the book of Hebrews says that Jesus went to the cross and endured everything because of the joy set before him. And that joy is this woman. And the question for us is, was that worth it? Like if for Jesus to do every, give up everything that he had to get this woman, was it worth it? Um, maybe for us, like, if you imagine that you are sitting with Jesus right now, which you are, because he's real and he's present. He's not just present because we're in church. He's, he's present because he loves you and he's near to you. He's nearer to you than your own soul. If you were sitting with him and looking across at him, like close enough that your knees could touch, and you said, Jesus, was I worth it? Um, how do you see that conversation going? I, t- I told you guys about my mom and dad at the beginning, and they took divergent paths. Um, in relation to me, but when I, um, I've told some of you guys this, but when we were, preg- when my wife was pregnant, not we, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our oldest daughter, Georgia, she said, you know, you should call your dad. We had talked like once over like 10 or 15 years. She said, you should call your dad because you're a Christian and you should tell him he's having a grandchild. And I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> but I did, called him. And what he told me on the conversation was he said, you know, what happened with your mom was the biggest mistake of my life. And if I could go back, um, I wish I could go back and not do that. I would take it back. Um, Which is a little demoralizing when you're on the other end of the phone and you're like, that's me. So the point of the story doesn't feel bad for me, by the way. Um, If I could go back, I would take it all back. So that was hurtful. Um, And so I spoke to my mom after that, and I told her that. And she told me what she has always told me. She said, you know, if I could go back again and be that person again and be in that place again with my whole life ahead of me and all my dreams ahead of me, I would do it all again. Because I got you. And so it was worth it. Um, Jesus invites us into that second path. So what I want to do, I want you to close your eyes if, you're, if that's not too weird. 
and I want you to imagine what is true, which is that you are sitting across from our Lord Jesus. Near enough that he could smell your breath, that your knees would rub. And I want to invite you to ask him, was I worth it? Everything you paid, everything you gave, everything you didn't have, was I worth it? What does his face look like? What's the tone of his voice? What's his body language? when he tells you the surest and truest thing that anyone could ever say, which is yes. It was all worth it because I got you. Jesus, it seems impossible to believe that you really are there and that you really are smiling on us all the time not the times when we feel the best about ourselves or we feel the loveliest or we feel the most deserving, but literally all the time you are smiling at us and inviting us to you in spirit and in truth. Lord, who else is worth it? Lord, as we come to this table, help us to believe, to trust, to see you, and to feel the spring of living water bubbling up in us. Lord, we're not leaving your presence just because some random person in the front says amen. Stay present to us, Lord. Help us to stay present to you as we come to the table and as we continue to move through our lives in your love, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.